What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is Muscle, and this is another Two Line Music Cuts Entertainment Report podcast. And today, we have a world-exclusive story today for you. Listen, the person we have in the studio today is Louis Rankin's common law wife. You know who we have in the studio today? We have Jules in the studio today. What's going on, Jules? Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for coming through today. No problem. Yeah, I mean, all right. And I have to let the world know, the last interview we did with Louis Rankin, you're actually the one to set it up and actually made it happen. And the process was so smooth and easy. Thank you. You're welcome. You know what I mean? So let's go right from the beginning and move on up. All right. How or where did you meet Louis Rankin in the first place? Uh, We met actually at a Method Man and Red Man concert. Okay. Back in, I believe it was 2013 in Barrie. Mm -hmm. Um, I was living in Barrie at the time, and I was um, kind of working in the entertainment industry. I was working with local DJs and promoters and helping to promote shows and friends of mine that were local artists that would open for shows. And he happened to show up at the show and... To be honest with you, it's kind of embarrassing because mm-hmm. Shatas is one of my favorite movies, and I didn't even realize it was him when he was standing right next to me at first until a friend of mine told me, oh, yeah. that's Teddy Ruckshot. And yeah. I was like, really? It was, yeah. I was surprised. Yeah. So that was the first time we met. Mm-hmm. And at the time, he was there with some of his team, and he went on stage and was with Meth and Red, and we talked for a few minutes backstage. And then I really didn't see him again after that for probably about a year. Okay. And the next time we ran into each other was at another show for Juicy J and Barry. Okay. And we went to the after party together and we exchanged numbers and we talked about what kind of work I did. And he said he was interested in having someone help him Mm -hmm. with his social media and things like that. And we just kind of connected that way. Mm -hmm. And business kind of turned into personal. Yeah, okay. And when you first met him, did he have any assistance or anything working with him or he was basically doing it solo? Well, I do know that when I first met him at the Method Man and Redman show, he was working with a couple of guys that were helping to manage him and he was dating a girl at the time named Sugar mm-hmm. from Sugar Entertainment and mm-hmm. she was assisting him as well with his with his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was doing her thing for him. Um, but at that time, there wasn't really too much going on for him. He really only had his Facebook page and I yeah. think a Twitter page. Okay. So when I got involved with him, I was helping him get more into the mainstream social media. He didn't have an Instagram page, which I created for him. Okay. So that kind of helped. Yeah, I know for sure because that turned into one of the main tools mm-hmm. that every, everybody uses now, which is Instagram. Yes. All right. Okay. So 2013, you met at the Red Man Method Man show and then you seen him again at the Juicy J show. And I guess this is where he he introduced business mm-hmm. and then you guys started on. So what were some of the first things you guys started to actually work on? His Instagram page. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one of the first things I did was create him an Instagram page because he really needed that um, outlet to be able to, to communicate with lots of different people. And it's mm-hmm. all across the world. It's worldwide. So, and, and, Instagram became so popular that you could do videos and pictures and people could connect with you. And Mm -hmm. it was a way for him to promote himself and have someone do it for him because he wasn't very technologically inclined. But Mm -hmm. most artists have someone to do that for them. So For sure, they have their team, people around them taking care of that. They're usually not the one tweeting or posting or anything. They have people doing those type of stuff there. That's right. Okay, so you guys started out. And what was the whole plan? What were you guys trying to do with the brand Louis Rankin at that time there? 
I guess he was just trying to get himself back out there. Like, he's already a well-known person. He's mm -hmm. very talented. He has the music side. He has the acting side. But he just hadn't done a lot of work. Like, he had first come back to Canada in 2010, and he did some shows and mm -hmm. did a few things then. But he really hadn't done too much. So we were just trying to get his get him back out there again mm -hmm. and get, get, him, get him back up in the scene so that he could get more work. Makes sense. And at this time, you said he came back to Canada in 2010. Mm -hmm. From the States, this was our Jamaica. Um, he, he came from Jamaica, but he went to the Jamaica from the States. And no. he, was, he was in Jamaica for a few months. It wasn't, wasn't like he was living there. He mm -hmm. went from the States to Jamaica and then from Jamaica to Canada. To Canada. And was it a thing where he couldn't go back to the States or he couldn't, what was the reason why he came to Canada instead of going back to the he States? Had some, he had some legal issues in the States, and uh, he left the States and went to Jamaica. And Jamaica is kind of a hard place for yeah. any artist to make money yeah, and, and to promote sure. themselves. And so he decided to come back to Canada. But he also has family here. His mom mm -hmm. lives here, and most of his brothers and sisters live here. So it was, it was a good place for him to come to. It made sense because I know originally when he left Jamaica as a kid, it was Canada where he came to first, and then he went to the States. Yeah. So I guess Canada was the main place where he had his paper, went to the States, whatever papers he had there, got into issues. So I guess if you're going to leave from Jamaica and come somewhere else, it would be Canada. Yes, because yeah. he couldn't really go back to the States. So. Yeah. Okay. And what were some of the earliest projects that you guys were actually working on when you started working with him? Um, it was a lot of um, shows and stuff. Like he would do hosting and... Um, he did some. Well, he would do some work in Jamaica, so I would set up the travel for him to do shows in Jamaica, mm -hmm. and then it was just shows in Canada, just basically hosting and mm -hmm. and doing per, per, per performances, also doing stuff like drops and dub plates and and things like that. Just mm -hmm. basically getting him back out there and getting his face seen. Okay, and at this time, were you guys trying to get him back into the states, where that wasn't really an option at that time there? We were working on it, but he wasn't really too keen on going back, okay. other than the fact that he had his his wife and, and other children there. Mm -hmm. He wasn't really too keen on going back there. Like, he'd go there to do shows and stuff, but he wasn't really looking on moving back there to live there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you guys started out doing dubs, drops, and all those stuff, getting some shows. So then when did, now you guys went from a business relationship to a personal relationship? Where did that start to change? That kind of happened pretty quickly. Okay. Um, not to sound prejudiced, but Jamaican yeah. men are kind yeah. of smooth talkers. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it happened pretty quickly. Yeah. He, I had two children, and he got pretty close with my children, especially my son. Okay. My son was um, just two when okay. we met, yeah. and my son's father was incarcerated when I was pregnant, so my mm -hmm. son didn't really have much of a father figure. Mm -hmm. So he was kind of there for my son and, you know, helping him and, and teaching him how to grow up and be a boy and he had him in a couple music videos and okay. we did a few videos and so we were just trying to get things done and get things going mm -hmm. and it just we spent so much time together it was just we were together on like almost a daily basis and he was a staying at my house when he was in Barrie because it was just easier than okay. having to pay for hotels and travel all the time and Mm -hmm. So he was staying in Toronto, or where was he staying when you were living in Barrie? Actually, he had a restaurant that he was running in Hanover. Okay. And it was called Ox's Caribbean Cuisine. And he was going back and forth between Toronto and Hanover for the restaurant. So when we met... Mm -hmm. He, I also have like a little bit of a cooking background, so he had we had talked about me going to the restaurant with him and helping him to reopen it. Mm -hmm. um, but that didn't really go 
through too well just because mm-hmm. up in Hanover, it's kind of um, more of a summer place. Okay. So the business during the wintertime isn't that great. So mm-hmm. it wasn't didn't seem like a proper investment thing at the time. Mm-hmm. And he just had so much other things going on with travel. He was uh, finishing up doing Yank with Kama. Yeah. Which was You Ain't No Killer with Kama. So he was traveling to Trinidad and Jamaica to finish filming for that. And all the travel he was doing, there just wasn't a lot of time to be running the restaurants. So it was just mm-hmm. easier to stay in Barrie and go back and forth to Toronto. Okay. And at this time, what type of restaurant was it? It was a Caribbean restaurant. So he was cooking in it. He was actually cooking in the restaurant. Yeah. And it would it was the, mostly takeout, and it was right next to a bar. So he actually did some shows at that bar, too, prior to me and him meeting. Okay. So... He was friends with the guy who ran the bar, and they just decided to become business partners and ran the restaurant, and they just kind of went from there. But mm-hmm. then because he was traveling so much, it just kind of didn't really keep yeah. going, you know? Makes sense. And at this time here, I guess this is all post-Belly and Shatas. Yes. Okay, so then all of that had passed already. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, the restaurant had only been, I think he only was working with the restaurant for a couple years before I met him. It was only, it was a recent thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, and how did it complicate the relationship where now we went from a professional relationship to a professional personal relationship? How did that complicate things or did it even complicate things? It did. It definitely Mm -hmm. did. And I'm sure it does for anybody who has Mm -hmm. a a spouse in the entertainment industry, especially Mm -hmm. when there's a lot of travel and, you know, there's always worries about who's around and who they're associating with and you know there's there's always complications but Mm -hmm. you have to find ways to work through it and i can't Mm -hmm. say that it wasn't complicated or that there wasn't problems but Mm -hmm. you always have to find a way to try and get through it what were some of the most obvious problems at first um the most obvious problems was probably i'd probably have to say females (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah Um, yeah I mean, being in the entertainment industry, a lot of people think that they have a a certain image that they have to uphold. And especially when you come into like the dance hall, hip hop, rap scene, you know, when it comes along to the music videos and the type of girls that are involved, you kind of have to try and hold the jealousy back and the the thoughts back. Because if you don't, it's just going to make you be jealous all the time Mm -hmm. and i'm not going to say there wasn't times when things happen things happen you know like people make mistakes and and it happens but you know you just have to get through it all right fair enough so then now when you guys are in this personal relationship now did he tell you about his wife didn't get in a divorce or anything or this was something that came later on down the road um he told me about his wife when i became pregnant so that and, and it wasn't that he was trying to keep it from me. Yeah. I think it was more he was trying to protect her. And and I can't I can't be mad at him for that. They okay. were together for over 30 years. She was with him for a very long time. They were married in 85. Wow. So, you know, she was with him for most of his major career. So, mm-hmm. I can't really blame him for wanting to protect her and and their life that they had in mm-hmm. the states, you know. So, I didn't really find out about her until I became pregnant and Mm -hmm. it was kind of, we kept it kind of quiet and it wasn't until the first baby was born that Mm -hmm. it really was, you know, he told his wife, you know, there's a baby coming kind of thing, Mm -hmm. but she didn't really seem to have anything, 
you know, against it. She understood, obviously. Yeah. She'd been with him through a lot. So she obviously understood. She knew he was in Canada. She knew he was with somebody. So mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't like we were trying. He was trying to hide it from me. Yeah. It was just trying to protect everybody, like everyone that was involved. It's a balancing act where it's like, okay, who do I tell? How do I balance it? Mm-hmm. How do we make everybody happy in this scenario? Yeah. Okay. All right. So then you said the first baby. So how many children do you guys have together? Three. Three. Okay, so the first one, boy or girl? Girl, Zara. Yeah. Zara. Okay, so then at that time, this had made it your third child. My third child, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and first one together. And then how long before you guys had the twins now? Um, well, Zara was born end of 2015, mm-hmm. and then the twins were born 2018. So I got pregnant with the twins at the end of 2017, mm-hmm. and they were born 2018. So there was probably a couple years between yeah. the two. Okay, so nothing like you're rushing, like, okay. No. no. Uh, next year, let's no, have some more like children. No, it's not like we were planning to have children, mm-hmm. especially not planning to have twins. That mm-hmm. was definitely a yeah. surprise. Mm-hmm. And what kind of family man was he towards the children and stuff like that? For the most part, he was a really good guy. He mm-hmm. was very supportive. He he loved his children, and he loves all children. Like, mm-hmm. even my two children prior to him, he treated them like his own, and mm-hmm. especially my son. He really took on my son and took okay. care of them. And, you know, he's like that with all of his children because he has other children in the States, and he has a daughter here in Toronto. And okay. he just he's always been the kind of guy that just is loving towards children. For sure. And he he tries to be there, but again with the travel, it's kind of hard. You know, sometimes you miss out on things. Mm-hmm. But he always try, he always made the effort. Like if he was away, then he would try and video call so he could talk to the the kids and and see their face, or he would call on the phone and mm-hmm. talk to them. Sometimes even if me and him were fighting, we didn't want to talk to each yeah. other. He'd still call and talk to the kids. So yeah. he always made sure he was looking out for them in the best way he could. Okay, so good family, upstanding guy when it comes to his family type of thing. Mm-hmm. All right. And then let's get into some more of his projects here. Were you with him when he had done the um, Roman Lion? That was before he was with me. That was before? Yes. That was probably right before, not too long before. Roaming Lion, I think, was before he left the States. Yeah. I believe he filmed that in the States, and yeah. that was before he left the States. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we got together, you know, and like twenty four summer 2014. So, yeah. I mean at least four years before we were together that he did Roman Lion. They did Roman, okay. Did he record or act in any movies? What was the first movie that he actually got involved with when you guys were together? Well, he was finishing up Yank with Kama. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was he was finishing up that. And then after that, the next movie-related one would have been the one that we started filming for the script that I wrote, which was Ice City. You wrote a script. Yes, it was Ice City. Yeah. So we had, um, it, it was a collaboration. Like he had some ideas that he put into it and there was someone else that we were working with that had put some ideas into it. But I basically put the meat of it together and, mm. you know, put in all the fillers and character names and stuff. But when it comes to like the Jamaican the Jamaican stuff, it was yeah. more, he he was the one that had to give me the lessons on mm-hmm. the culture and things like that to make sure that, that we put it in the script properly. Which makes sense. And was that project ever finished? No, it's, it wasn't. We did film. Mm-hmm. We did film some scenes and um, there were some names and some pretty good names involved in it. Um, Nemesis was in it. And, okay. Um, he did some filming in it and Infinite was in it and um, uh, Baby Grime and, yeah. you know, Lucci Boss Lady. So there was a lot of people that were involved in it and mm-hmm. I still have the stuff we filmed and I'm still trying to finish up the script. Yeah. So there is a potential to finish it or possibly even just turn it into a book. Yeah. 
Okay, so there are actually some projects that weren't completed that you actually have control over yes. that he didn't get to finish. What other projects were there out there that he had at that time there? Um, so we had also started um, writing another script for another movie called The Wrong House, which was kind of like a thriller, okay. thriller-type horror movie, which we never started filming. It was basically a couple of ideas that me and him had talked about, and then I just started writing it. So that wasn't really something that has been put out to the public. It was just something that me and him had started working on. Mm-hmm. And then he did um, The Intent 2. Yes. With Popcon. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, they came to me and said they had a script that they wanted to offer to him. Mm-hmm. And um, they sent it to me, and I read it. And I told him what it was about, and I said, well, they want you to play a Jamaican police officer. Yeah. And his first comment was no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely not. He okay. did not want to play a police officer. Yeah. But then when I reread the script and kind of explained to him, you know, it's kind of like, you know, he's a gangster officer. Yeah. He kind of does his own thing. And, and he when he does a character, he doesn't really go by the script. He yeah. kind of just gets an idea of what the character is and then just does his own thing, which is how he makes his characters work, right? Okay. So, you know, there's a lot of back and forth discussions of him saying, well, this is really how I want to take the character. And they kind of agreed to it. And there's a lot of back and forth. And PopCon didn't really fully become involved either until he heard that Louis was going to be involved. Okay. And, and then Louis showed up to Jamaica, and that was kind of like when everybody signed the the paperwork and yeah. said, "Okay, we're going He's through here. with this." Yes. Yeah. So then they started that, and that was pretty big. Actually, it yeah. went on Netflix, and you know there was discussion for Intent Three. Okay. So he was supposed to be involved in that. I'm not sure if they're still going through with filming Intent Three. Mm-hmm. Um, the, we did talk about it a little bit, but I'm not sure how they're going to take go on from that part. Got you. Okay, even his musical career now, was he actually recording any music at this time here? Or where, where was his mindset when it came to music? He had some songs that he had started. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would filmed a couple of videos um, in when we were living in Barrie. And one was King Solomon, which is, is I believe, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did some behind-the-scenes stuff. And we did some work with uh, some people from, from Montreal. Um, and they were doing like kind of like a documentary type thing. Okay. So they were kind of following him around while he was doing music videos and doing shows and stuff to do get behind the scenes footage and mm-hmm. just doing some work like that. But he didn't really, he wanted to put an album out, but he wasn't really putting the effort in. And it wasn't until we moved from Barry that I really kind of pushed him. Actually, when he did the video with DJ Khaled and Nas, yeah. that's when I really pushed him to say, okay, now's the time for you to do the album because now you're starting to get back out there and people are seeing you doing this work with people like Khaled and Nas that Mm -hmm. you really need to put it out there. Mm -hmm. And then the Raptors, the Raptors championship. And now he really started to get the following because of that. So then I really said, okay, now we really need to get on it. So then he started recording and he finished the album and it was pretty much almost done and mixed and mastered. There still needed a little bit work on it. Okay. And then the accident happened. So yeah. the album is done yeah. and it is ready to be put out. But now it's all just legal matters and things like that to, to, get, it to get it out. We're about to get to the accident, but there was two things that you brought up that I wanted to discuss. The Nas and DJ Khaled song there. How did that song even come about in the first place? Well, I guess that was from Nas's album, Nas' mm-hmm. album done. And because I guess Colin and Nas were both in Belly mm-hmm. and Louie was in Belly. And I guess they wanted to, 
put keep the the theme from Belly to go into the music video. So mm-hmm. I was actually contacted by Khalid. Khalid got my number mm-hmm. from. I believe it was Cess Silvera that had my number because okay. Louis had been in contact with Cess and Louis always gave my contact information to everybody because yeah. it was easier to talk to me than it was to get to him sometimes. So Collette had contacted me and said he wanted Louis in the video and basically said, book the flight and come, we want to go. So basically the day after Collette called me, Louis mm-hmm. was on a plane to Bahamas and yeah. it was done. It was very quick. Okay. And he was there for about a week and they filmed and it was a pretty big hit and he had a lot of fun doing it. And yeah. It, it went. It was. It was a lot of work because it was a lot in a short period of time, especially for him because he was a little bit older. But he really enjoyed doing it, and it mm-hmm. kind of got him back into the groove of of the music. Yeah, because he's back around with the A-listers, mm-hmm. which is the Nas, the DJ Khaled, and stuff like that. So then that puts a good shine on him. Like, okay, you're still. Ox, you're still Teddy Bruckshot, and people still appreciate that because of what a lot of people don't realize is okay, those roles came out years ago, and there's only so much you could actually got paid for that role, or you could continue to make residuals from bookings for um, hostings, other features, and stuff like that. So I guess people don't really realize that after a while, that money kind of runs out unless you're still staying on that level. Or, or you're investing it properly to mm-hmm. make sure that you can continue to make profit mm-hmm. off of it. Mm-hmm. But I think it was more for him, it was more of the camaraderie because like, he was really happy to see Nas again. It had been a long time since they'd been together. Yeah. And he had been he was really kind of proud of Khalid and how far he had come and the work he'd done. So for him to be involved in that, it was more of a, a respect thing than it really yeah. was about the money or the image. Yeah. Because you know that's going to get you to where you need to go. Okay, I'm still with Nas. I'm still with Khaled. So then, clearly, people are still requesting me. Yes. So hopefully, this will get me something else big again. Yes. You know what I mean? Want to get into some details here with the movie Shutters? Do you know? Because I know it came out on bootleg and stuff like that. Do you know if he was paid? properly for that movie or do you know what happened with that movie there i couldn't really tell you because mm-hmm. obviously that was long before me and him were together and we knew each other i do know that um, when we first got into business together there mm-hmm. was um some talk about some court cases okay so there was some complications with people being paid properly but I couldn't really speak too much on it because I didn't really know too much. Yeah. But there was some issues mm-hmm. um, legally wise for people being paid, but I couldn't really tell you too much on yeah. that. <laughs> and I guess that goes the same for um, Belly also? Belly, as far as I know, there wasn't really too many complications mm-hmm. um, in other than the fact that he was on his way to Jamaica to film a scene and he got pulled over by the cops and got held up and was three days late for his yeah. shoot in Jamaica. But... They, he managed to get there in film. But other than that, um, I don't think there was any issues. Mm-hmm. But I, again, I couldn't say for the contract-wise for that stuff because I wasn't involved in any of the contract writing. So I don't know what it came to, what he was paid up front and mm-hmm. the residuals and things like that. Okay. Understand. Ox, Teddy Brookshot, Louis Rankin. What was he like as a person off the air? Like, okay, we're not filming today. Was he still in character or he actually became regular when the lights were off and everything when we were at home on our own with the kids and stuff he was just a regular guy like mm-hmm. you know he we we did our thing we'd cook we'd go out shop whatever we needed to do but when he was around certain people 
the image was still maintained. Like if he came to Toronto and he mm-hmm. was around a certain crowd, then he still maintained the image of Ox, Teddy Buckshot, whatever you want, whatever he was, you know, certain areas of Toronto, people call him Teddy Buckshot. Other areas of the city, people call him Ox. So yeah. it just depended on who he was around. But at home, one-on-one, he was, he was your average guy, you know? Mm-hmm. He, he had his, his habits and his, his, his daily routines. He liked to cook. Okay. And he was always the one cooking most of the time. And he liked football so foot, and basketball. Yeah. So, And he liked uh, to, to bet on football and basketball. <laughs> so basically, when we were at home, it was just cooking yeah. and watching sports and, mm-hmm. you know, normal, normal people stuff. Yeah. And he was more of a homebody or he liked being out on the road. He was a homebody to a sense. Like, he did like going out and being on the road, but it came to a certain point where, you know, he'd just get tired and he had enough and he just wanted to come home and rest. Because when he's on the road, he didn't really sleep much and he was very particular about things. He didn't eat food from other people. Mm -hmm. He didn't, he wanted to cook for himself. He wanted to sleep in Mm -hmm. his own bed without having, you know, when he's on the road and you're in hotels and stuff, there's usually other people with you. And he didn't sleep much and he didn't really eat too much when he was on the road. So, to a certain extent, he liked to travel and be on the road, but to a certain extent, he'd want to come home. There'd be plenty of times when he'd call me and say, I'm ready to come home, or he'd yeah. call me and say, I want to leave now, and it wouldn't be, it'd be early, so I'd yeah. have to change his flight so he could come home, just because he was tired. Yeah. He wanted to come home and rest and eat proper, and it was just, just you know, it, it's tough, well, tough sure. to be on the road. Well, for sure. Again, you, you have to maintain this image, but when you're down and the door's closed and you're in your room by yourself and you call your wife, you say, hey, listen. I'm ready to leave now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the show is up. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Especially if things weren't going his way. He was very particular about things. Mm-hmm. And if somebody wanted him to do something that he didn't want to do, he would make it known. He was yeah. a very vocal and, and loud person. And yeah. you would know if he was in the room because yeah. he would make it known. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Okay. So with his management and stuff of his career, you were the only one on his management team or he had outside people also too that was handling whatever else for his career? For the most part, I was doing most of the work. Mm-hmm. There was a few other people that we would hire uh, for different projects at different times. Like, I didn't travel with them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mostly because I was either pregnant or taking yeah. care of children. So, <laughs> Makes sense. Um, and it was just better for me not to travel mm-hmm. with him. So, if he went to, like, there's a couple times when he was in Jamaica and we would mm-hmm. hire somebody in Jamaica to a- assist him while he was there to help him with his with taking pictures and ke- keeping track of phone numbers and, and helping with wardrobe and things like that. So, every project, there was somebody different that was helping. Um, Kama from Yank mm-hmm. has been around Louis for many years, and he helped manage things as well and set up stuff as well. So he was kind of there on the, on the sidelines saying, okay, well, I have this for you and I have this for you. And there was some people in the States, too, mm-hmm. that were still working with us and were trying to help get him back in the States and say, oh, if you come, we have this show and this show and this show. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of people that were putting their ha- hands in to help out. But for the most part, I was doing most of the behind the scenes stuff. Okay, so he didn't have like this big management team that said, okay, you go here, here, here. We make sure that you're invested here, here, here. Or this was more or less a solo thing on your part. Let's figure it out as we go. 
basically I was doing most of it. So if mm-hmm. a contract needed to be written up and the other person that came to us didn't have one written up, mm-hmm. I was the one that wrote it up and put the terms in. I did most of the negotiating, mm-hmm. going back and forth between him and the other people. Um, I was running his Instagram and his social mm-hmm. media, mm-hmm. and I was helping, like, I'd book the flights, and I'd pack okay. his suitcase, yeah. and, you know, make sure he had all his wardrobe, and, you know, everything that he pretty much needed, it was me that was there on the sidelines doing it all for him. Getting it together. Good. So you were being a personal assistant, but also a good wife at the same time, too, type of thing. You could say that, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's get into that fateful night, the night of the accident. When was the accident? September 30th. September 30th, 2019. Yes. Okay. So it's a little over a year right now. Yeah. Okay. Do you know the details leading up to the accident? Well, he had been finishing up recording his album. Mm -hmm. Um, So he was in the city recording his album, and they were pushing to get it done. So they had been working real hard for, Mm -hmm. you know, he'd been away from home for about a week, maybe a little over a week. He hadn't been home in about a week. And they were pushing really hard to get it done and been working long hours. And he had called me the night before, and he was really tired. And it was probably about one one thirty in the morning when I had talked to him, and he said he was coming home in the morning. Okay. And... We had a conversation in the morning, and he was in his car driving when we had the conversation. And our last phone call was probably five minutes before the accident happened. Yeah. And was he in good spirits, bad spirits, or what was he like at that time there? Um, for him, it was normal spirits. He was, <laughs> <laughs> he was tired, and he was worn out, and, you know, he was just, it was a long drive. It was mm-hmm. about a three-hour drive from where he was driving to our home. Mm-hmm. It was about, he'd left the place he was at at about six o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. So by the time he was almost home, it was he was tired yeah. and, and he'd been working hard and he just wanted to get home. So mm-hmm. I could hear it in his voice, he was frustrated yeah. and he just was, he was done. He just wanted to come home and rest and relax. Yeah, okay, and the specifics of the accident, now exactly what had happened? Um, it was a head-on collision with a transport truck, a gravel truck. And um, from the information that I received from the investigators and the police report was that he had crossed over the line Mm -hmm. and didn't go back and had hit the transport truck. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if the car rolled or if it spun, but it ended up probably about at least six to eight feet off the road into the ditch, into the trees. Yeah. And his car was pretty demolished. And was he the only one in the car at that time? Yes, he was. Yeah. And did they see... If he had any weed, alcohol, or anything in his system at that time there? Yes, he did. Yeah. He was three times over the legal limit. <clears throat> and he was um, he had marijuana in his system as well. So he was under the influence. But to be honest with you, it wasn't that surprising to me because yeah. he liked to drink. He liked yeah. to have his rum. Mm-hmm. You know, like some people would have a cup of coffee in the morning. He mm-hmm. would have his, his rum to drink. and. Yeah. You know, weed isn't really, to me, isn't really that big of a thing. Most people do it these days, mm-hmm. and they smoke all that often. And it wasn't really the weed that was in his system. It was the alcohol. So. It was the alcohol. Okay, did he have a problem with alcohol, alcohol, or he just liked to have a sip now and then? I would say he had some problems with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And he would admit it when he was sober that mm-hmm. he had some issues with alcohol. Mm-hmm. But it took a lot for him to admit that he had those problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would say at times he would be considered a full-blown alcoholic, and at other times he could be considered, you know, trying to to, mm-hmm. to get it together. And 
But I think that kind of comes along with the industry, you know. Yeah. It, it's hard, especially someone that of his age trying to keep up with, you know, today's society. And you're going to parties and you're going to clubs. And part of the thing that comes along with hosting and, mm-hmm. and, and doing ev- and shows and events is promoters will offer you, you know, booths and bottles and everything to go along with it. Mm-hmm. He didn't really drink all that much when he was performing mm-hmm. or up to his performance. Okay. It was after he was done doing his job, mm-hmm. then he would drink or where he was somewhere comfortable, then he would drink. He drank, I think, in my opinion, a lot more at home mm-hmm. than he did when he was on the road. Mm-hmm. So you would say he was like a functioning alcoholic then? For the most part, there was times when there was that he wasn't functioning Mm -hmm. there. He would go through phases where he would have a rough patch and Mm -hmm. he would be really out of it for a while. And there's other people that were around that would notice these things and knew that he was having problems with it. His family members knew that alcohol was a problem and he he would have times when he would sober up and he would kind of stay away from it or he would just have a beer or two here and then he just would go back to it. Mm-hmm. And did you guys, was it at a point where you guys were trying to get him help or he wasn't really, he'd say, no man, I have this, don't worry. I'll stop drinking for seven months. He was very stubborn. You couldn't mm-hmm. really tell him what he could and couldn't do. Yeah. So you could tell him that he had a problem. Mm-hmm. If he was drinking at the time or was drunk at the time, he wouldn't hear it. You couldn't. Mm-hmm. He, he wouldn't hear anything about it. He, he wouldn't. Don't tell me what to do. I know mm-hmm. what I'm doing. I've been doing this for years. Mm-hmm. But then when he was sober and he realized his behavior and his actions while he was drinking, mm-hmm. he would say, "Okay, you know, I, it's time for me to slow down." And sometimes he would take breaks and slow down. In fact, the one time when he went the longest without drinking was because he had gotten some traffic tickets for drinking and driving, and he had to do some time. And he was incarcerated for about two months last year. Yeah. He missed Christmas and everything. It was um, so. Well, it was a little over a year ago, obviously, because mm-hmm. yeah. so this was. I believe it was the twins' first Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, so he did two months. He went in November, came out January. And when he came out, he stayed sober for quite some time mm-hmm. after that. Because while he was in, he did a lot of spiritual spiritual searching inside of himself and reading the Bible and, and you know looking at his life and seeing what he had in his children and knowing that he needed to, to better himself. Yeah. But then he got back into his movies and, and <clears throat> excuse me, and um, his career. So it kind of was hard to stay away from it. He tried. I, I can't say that he didn't. And he mm-hmm. tried many times to stay off of it. But it was really difficult. Any person that has any type of substance addiction, yeah. it takes a lot to quit. And it, it doesn't, it takes a team too. Like, and at the same time, if the person doesn't want to do it, it's not going to happen until they're ready to. Makes sense. And what type of person was he, was he when he was drinking? Very similar to his characters in his movies. Um, he 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 could be very loud, and it would start off. He was very you know funny and joking and happy, and then the more he drank, the more the the bad side would come out, and mm-hmm. and something would piss him off. It, whether it was me or somebody else or something didn't go his way or, you know, the football game didn't go out properly and that yeah. would just trigger his mood. And then once he flipped over to that that 
angry mood, it just went downhill from there. Mm -hmm. And then he would just want to drink more to try and get that memory out of his head. He did admit to me on several occasions that, you know, he'd been through a lot in his lifetime, especially when he was in the States and some of the things he was involved in. And he had a lot of a lot of ghosts that were haunting him. So I think some of the drinking was maybe to get that stuff out of his head so that he wasn't so much thinking about those things. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of guilt for some things he'd been involved in when his younger days. So, and I think that's probably pretty common for a lot of people. Yeah. All right. And was there any domestic abuse in the relationship? Yes, there was. Mm -hmm. There was, um, not towards the children, mm -hmm. between us. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think it was necessarily that he wanted to do it. I think it was a loss of control. Um, it was more like he would start off with the verbal stuff and making comments. And some of the things that he would say were really hurtful. And when we were first together at first, you know, I would try and stay humble and not talk back and not say anything. But after a time, you know, things get they, it gets to you, you know, and, you know, you have children and I was doing a lot too, like with his career and then home stuff and taking care of babies and being pregnant and everything. So I was stressed out. So, you know, people kind of can clash at times and I can't say I didn't make mistakes. I probably said some things that I should have kept to myself, but okay. it, it kind of, it wasn't like he was purposely trying to hurt me. It was more of a loss of self-control yeah. and it was just kind of. You know, I don't know if it was things flashing through his head or, and I know I'm not the only one. I We've had conversations and there was problems with his wife in the past as well, too. So it it comes along with the substance abuse. Mm -hmm. And he really tried. And when he was sober, he would apologize and he would admit that he was wrong. And, and he would see that it affected the children and affected our relationship. It was, But it's a vicious cycle. It's a very vicious cycle. Yeah. Makes sense. And what was the age difference between you and him? Um, I think it was about 30, 30 years, 31 years. <laughs> he wow. was he yeah. was 66 when he passed away and mm -hmm. I'll be turning 35 on Wednesday. So yeah. there is. Well, let's put it this way. I was born October 28th and him and his wife got married October 25th, three <laughs> days before I was born. So, wow. yes, there was quite an age difference, but it didn't seem like there was that much of an age difference. And to be honest with you, I didn't even know his true age until the first time I booked a flight for him and needed his passport and yeah. saw the year he was born. But it wasn't really it didn't really affect me that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, first of all, he's Jamaican and they mm -hmm. tend to, you know, the lifestyle and, and the food you eat and the, and the stuff you drink. It kind of slows down the aging process. So we definitely did not look like a 66 year old man. Yeah. Um, and he didn't definitely didn't have the mentality of a 66 year old man either so to me the age wasn't really that big of a deal yeah got you okay let's get back to the um accident here so then you said you spoke to him about five minutes or so before the accident yes. did he sound like he was intoxicated or anything at that time or again you knowing him it's like okay here we go again I know what this is here. The thing with Louis is that when he was drinking, he wasn't like when he was drunk. It's not like your typical drunk where he was slurring his words or he was falling over. When he was drunk, he seemed more sober than okay. he was drunk. So <laughs> okay. you could be talking to him and he could be a whole bottle into his J. Ray or Appleton, whatever mm -hmm. he was drinking. And you would never know mm -hmm. other than to smell the alcohol off of him. So, no, there was no slurring of the words. And all the time we were together, there was probably only a handful of times that he was so drunk that he couldn't walk or talk. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, he seemed like he was in a normal state. 
mm-hmm. even when he because but he had a very high tolerance like he he was drinking a bottle of rum a day so for for most like most days yeah, yeah. so for most people you would be intoxicated but for him his body was so used to it that mm-hmm. it took a lot and he would show signs of withdrawal when he wasn't drinking, okay. especially when he would go on some serious binges of drinking. So you could see like he would have, he would feel sick and he wouldn't want to eat. And sometimes I'd have to get him, you know, some medical attention. There was a few times when we had to get him some medication to make him feel better. And he was mm-hmm. having stomach issues. And the last time I took him into the hospital to the doctor to be seen, they were telling him that they were starting to see signs of liver cirrhosis and and some problems with his stomach lining from alcohol. So it was starting to take a toll on him. Yeah, because we're talking about rum here. It's not like beer or something light. No. So, okay, you get the call. When was this? So then who contacted you after the accident had happened or what was the next thing that had happened? Well, the last time I talked to him, when I got off the phone with him, it was around 9, 10 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And he was probably about 30 minutes from home, 30, 40 minutes. So I expected him to be home before 10 Mm a.m. And he didn't show up. So Mm -hmm. I thought maybe he stopped somewhere on the way. To be honest with you, my first thought was that he got pulled over for speeding. And his license was not legit at the time. So I thought maybe he got arrested or something. And I kept trying to call his phone and I couldn't get through. And I kept calling his nephew who he was with when he left. And neither of us could get a hold of him. And then it was just after noon, after 12 noon in the afternoon, and a police officer pulled into my driveway. And it was at that point that I Mm -hmm. knew it was serious. Because if he had just gotten arrested, they wouldn't be coming to my house to tell me that. Mm -hmm. They probably would have had him call me or his lawyer call me or something. So when they pulled into my driveway, I kind of had a feeling that it was something bad. What was that conversation like with the officer? Well, at first they didn't want to tell me anything because I was at home with the younger three children. And um, Zara, Mm -hmm. she it's kind of stuck to me like glue. So as soon as I came outside, she was right there and they were kind of like, well, do you want to go somewhere and talk? Mm -hmm. So as soon as they said that, I knew something bad. So I'm like, what happened? So then they asked me, you know, do you know this person? Does he drive this car? And I said, yes. And yes. And then they basically just said, well, we're sorry to have to tell you that he was involved in a car accident and he passed away. So obviously I was in a state at that point. I was kind of out of it. Actually, I I fell over and hit the ground and the officer had to pick me up. And um, my daughter was there. At the time, she was only three. So she did hear what was said, but she didn't, it didn't really clue into her and register with her. Mm -hmm. In fact, she didn't really show any signs of emotion or show any recognition of the situation until his funeral when she seen him in the casket. Okay. So it wasn't really, for her, it wasn't really much of an understanding. The officer stayed with me while I made some phone calls and they sent someone from victim services to stay with me to help me deal with the stuff. And they basically said there wasn't much they could tell me other than there was an accident and that he passed away, that they Mm -hmm. were investigating it. As from what I heard, the road was closed for 24 hours while they were investigating and Mm -hmm. doing everything they needed to do. But it was a difficult time. And, you know, I called one of his brothers and I called his nephew and. I couldn't call his mom. That was just one thing I couldn't do. So I left that for his other family members to do. So it was hard for me because I'm at home by myself. I've got my three younger kids there. My older two were coming home from school. Mm -hmm. One of our mutual friends, one of his business partners that he was in the restaurant with who lived up there where we were, he came Mm -hmm. to the house and stayed with me and so that I could have the time to tell the other kids. So it was definitely a rough day. A rough month, I should say, until he was buried. So, Because I guess at that point there... I guess the phone calls, the DMs, 
everything is coming in and a million people are trying to pull at you at one time. Well, I'm not even sure how it got out so quickly to the media because mm-hmm. I only told like maybe three or four people mm-hmm. in his immediate family. Mm-hmm. And then like my mom and like a couple of our close friends. I never put anything out in the media, I think until at least 24 hours after the accident happened. Mm-hmm. So when I'm getting messages the day of the accident of people saying, is it true? Is it true? I heard there was an accident. I really don't know who officially put it out there, mm-hmm. but I guess... You know, things go through the grapevine. He has a very large Mm -hmm. um, immediate family. Like he has six brothers and sisters and then they all have children. So, you know, just that alone right there, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, probably close to 200 people in his immediate family that all live within the GTA area. Mm -hmm. So, you know, his nephew finds out, his niece finds out, they tell a friend, they tell a friend. It got out very quickly. So. That became very difficult because obviously people are automatically going to be calling me because I was the next closest person to them to Mm -hmm. verify it. And I didn't really put anything out there to verify it 100% until 20, I think it was at least 24 hours after the accident. And what state did that leave you in at first when everything started to happen? To be honest with you, I don't think I really fully took in my own emotions and my own grief because I was so busy dealing with the accident and dealing with the information from it. And then, you know, so quickly because he was so well known how to handle putting it out there to the media. And of course I'm having lots of people contact me. I've had like CPTV, CP24, CP24 had it running every 20 minutes on their TV station. So I didn't even have the TV on in my house because of my children. Mm-hmm. I was on social media and a lot of people were like, oh, you should stay off. You know, you're going to see a lot of things. But at the same time, I kind of had to because he is such a big figure in the media so I, I couldn't I felt like I I needed to know what was going on and yeah. what was being said just so that I had an idea of how to handle it when it came to that point makes sense when the news officially broke now who were some of the celebrity friends that reached out to you right away and offered some sort of assistance or help or condolence the main one that comes to mind immediately was DJ Khaled he was one of the first people to reach out to me I text him, Um, I sent him a text message and let him know what happened. And he was obviously upset by it. And he, like the celebrities never really officially put anything out about it until I had put something on his Instagram and my Instagram. Mm -hmm. Once that had happened, then that's when all the celebrities started posting their, you know, memoriams and stuff for him that they put out. Mm -hmm. But I would have to say DJ Khaled was one of the main people that reached out to me. Right away. Um, and that was after I messaged him. And then once it started getting out there, um, Sizzla reached out to me, PopCon, Movado, uh, Bounty Killer. A lot of the reggae dance hall scene artists were the more to reach out to me. Um, mm-hmm. Khaled was really the only one from the U.S. that reached out. Yeah. Everybody else just basically put something up in his memory up on their social media like Foxy Brown and Nas and Snoop Dogg and they just basically would post something and mm-hmm. say something about it. But really, Khaled was the only one that took the time to reach out and and lend his support and say if there was anything I needed and to let him know. Take it from there. This is where the story gets complicated now. Yes. Because I know right after he died, when did you put up the GoFundMe or was it you <clears throat> that put up the GoFundMe? The GoFundMe thing is complicated. So... 
I originally didn't want to put a GoFundMe up because I knew there was going to be some backlash and I knew there was going to be some some issues there. Um, his nephew, Gloomy Grade, was being very supportive and was being there for me and the kids. And we had talked about it. And a couple of his other nieces and nephews had messaged me and contacted me. And they all said they thought it was a good idea and that I should put it out. And a couple of his um, siblings had said the same thing as well. And I didn't really want to put it out at first, but... To be honest, there wasn't really any funds to pay for Mm -hmm. a funeral. Um, Any money that we had in the savings, because this obviously wasn't an expected thing, had gone into his album. And there wasn't a lot of savings to begin with. You know, we had our our expenses for cars and and bills and things like that. So there wasn't a lot of savings. And unfortunately, he had lapsed on paying his life insurance policy. So there wasn't life insurance to cover that. Mm -hmm. Um, And his car insurance did pay for some things. But at the same time, they didn't pay for a lot because he was driving with a suspended license. So that kind of takes away from from a lot of the income. So the GoFundMe was, the originally it was to help pay for funeral costs. And then a few people said, well, you should put something in there for the kids too, so that the, you could have something for the future. Mm-hmm. But then it became complicated because there was a lot of issues with, with the money and family and things like that. So it got to the point where I just needed to take it down. Mm-hmm. And I just used what I got from it to pay for his funeral. Yeah. Okay, so then this is because, again, a lot of people see Louis Rankin, Ox, Teddy Brookshot, this man we've seen in movies, Love for Years, typewriter song, and all of this. We figure, okay, you're set. You have your money. But I've seen that the only statement that i actually seen you put up was something on your Instagram where you were telling them something about the fact that most of his money was made in the 90s. Yeah. And a lot of the money he had given away to people helping them. Yeah. You know what I mean? You finished the statement. It wasn't on my Instagram, actually. It was, um, I commented on a post that someone else put up. And Mm -hmm. I had not commented on anything. I had stayed away from a lot of it. And to be honest with you, it came after Foot to Hype had put out a video. Um, I mean, he had put out a video talking about how um, I should have my children taken away. And I was taking away from his image and that I was making him look bad and um, there were some racist comments about the fact that I was a white woman and this is what white women do to black men. And there was a lot of other people that made comments, but it didn't really bother me until that comment about how my children should be taken away because of what I had, was doing to his image. So it was the fact that people were saying, oh, well, she's just a gold digger and she's just trying to look for money. And it was people that really didn't understand the situation. So... That's when I came along, and I didn't I didn't diss anybody. I didn't disrespect anybody. I just basically said, well, listen, the man was still married at the time of his accident. <clears throat> so legally, his wife is entitled to any assets or anything that he has. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there wasn't even a lot of assets. He didn't really have any residuals coming in from any of his work from the 90s. Mm-hmm. He did make most of his money in the 90s. While we were together, I probably helped him make around $250,000 across six years, but that's not a lot of money. It doesn't go very far when you have a lot of expenses. And part of my job was to maintain an image for him. So what you see on social media and what you saw on his Instagram Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily gravitate to real life. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, you know, he may come across on social media like, oh, he has all these cars and he has all this and that. 
most of those cars, like most celebrities, are rentals or promo vehicles, and the clothing were given to them because he's doing promo for certain stores. So people just assumed that he had a lot more than he did. Mm -hmm. And they were under the assumption that me putting the GoFundMe out there was for me to, to get money out of it. A lot of people don't know that I was never paid for any of the work I did for him. I did it all without expecting to be paid. I never asked to be paid. It wasn't something that I said, hey, you have to pay me. Yeah. We did have a contract that said I was getting paid 20%. Yeah. But when it came down to the money was paid, he would give me money here, he'd give me money there, or he would pay you know, the rent for the month. Like We didn't own a home, we rented. So it's not like we had you know, equity or assets yeah. in a home. <clears throat> so, and... We had groceries and bills and car payments and and kids to take care of and he was completely funding his album on his own with the help, with my help so there there wasn't any money to go around and his family didn't really have any money to put into it either mm-hmm. so there really wasn't much of an option because there was no income anywhere for anyone to come up and go to a funeral and be like hey here's fifty thousand dollars let's bury him properly yeah so i wanted to make sure that he did get the send-off that he deserved but i had to find a way to get the funds to do that and i did have the support of his family in the beginning and most of his family still have been supportive and been there for me Mm -hmm. but there was a few family members that had some backlash and it wasn't until you know the gofundme reached about ten thousand dollars that it started to really they started to really come at me. And it was, you know, only a couple of people in the family that really gave me issues. But I had one person in particular that was threatening me and telling me that they I wasn't allowed to come to the funeral and that I should take the money out in cash and give it to them directly. And then I said, well, no, I'm going to pay the funeral home directly. And that's when they said, you can keep it. And some pretty derogatory terms thrown at me. And it, it was pretty stressful on my part. So Because you're dealing with the death of your business partner, your Kamila husband, the father of your children, yeah. and the artist all at the exact same time. And mm-hmm. it's like, who you think would be in your corner isn't? That's why I was saying, like, okay, celebrity friends, especially when they see the GoFundMe, you would figure that, okay, they'd say, let's protect this image and let's put together $50,000, whatever the case is, to give them a good send-off. But none of that really happened. No. There was only one celebrity that really put money into the GoFundMe, and I'm not going to name names because they've asked to remain anonymous, but there was really only one celebrity that stepped up and, and, and helped out. The rest, there was a few that would post it, like, <clears throat> that would post it on their media and stuff like that to, to help it. And, you know, um, Specs was very helpful in, in supporting the GoFundMe and, and talking about it on social media and on the radio. And there was a lot of people that were supporting it, but not as many people as I thought that would have funded towards it and helped with the situation. Mm -hmm. And I see how they were with other celebrities that passed away and how much they put into it. And then I see how he passed away and how all these celebrities came out and put all their condolences and rest in peace and can't believe he's gone, Mm -hmm. but didn't put the effort into his passing as they did to other celebrities. Yeah. So it was kind of difficult for me because it was like, okay, so where were they all when he was alive and was trying to get help for his album and trying to get help for the, his movies and his careers? And there was only a few that really stepped up and 
assisted him and then all of a sudden he passes away and all these artists are coming out and be like oh rest in peace and we miss you and can't believe it happened and to me it was like well where were you when he was reaching out to you when he was alive yeah you know it's like look at his instagram he Mm -hmm. went from sixty-five thousand followers to 120,000 followers within weeks of his passing i never understood why would everybody want to follow me now that i'm gone it almost never made what are you expecting to happen it's almost like you're more famous dead than alive. Holy smokes. So then, okay, at this point here, okay, we know he's still married. And was he, he was going through a divorce at this time? The divorce proceedings started in 2016. Okay. So at that point, um, I think that it was, she had started the divorce proceedings and she sent the divorce paperwork and we had been going through it and he had been talking to a few different lawyers to talk about next steps and I think just because there was such a long history between the two of them and, you know, they had children together and mm-hmm. things like that, that it was just kind of, it was a big step to take. And I and I don't, it wasn't that there wasn't any love there for her anymore. And it wasn't that there wasn't any love for me either. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to put me in that position. But divorce is a, is a big thing, you know, especially for, sure. for when you've been with someone for over 30 years. So the divorce proceedings had started, mm-hmm. but they were never... They never f- filed with the courts to officially to be divorced. Like the paperwork were filed, but there was no terms that are agreed upon. There was no paperwork signed. So mm-hmm. when he passed, they were still legally married on paperwork. So that means if there was any assets, any insurance, anything, it would go to her. Mm-hmm. And then she would have to be nice enough to either send you some, the children some, or whatever the case is. But you're saying there wasn't really a lot of assets. No. The insurance had lapsed. His life insurance had lapsed due to lack of payment. Mm -hmm. He did have accidental death insurance, but unfortunately, the way accidental death insurance works is Mm -hmm. that if the person is in a car accident and they're under the influence of any type of substance, Mm -hmm. it automatically voids the life insurance. The life insurance was, you know, decent. It was over $100,000, but unfortunately, because of the circumstances of the accident, it was void. So then really and truly, you didn't get anything per se, nor his wife did. No. Because there was really nothing to get. No, there wasn't anything to get. And and in her, even for her, it was difficult because she's living in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And he was living in Canada at the time of his accident and had been living in Canada for quite some time. That even for her to um, take over, as pro- like to get the probate, it mm-hmm. was costing her a lot of money and legal fees to do that just because it's she'd have to get a lawyer in the U.S. <clears throat> excuse me, and in Canada. Okay to do the probate so she wasn't even having the funds to do that one of their children was um uh paralyzed um their one son was paralyzed and he was in a wheelchair so he needs 24 hours seven around the clock care so a lot of her money and her income that she has goes towards helping to take care of her son Mm -hmm. um and she's still she was still work she's still working too and you know she's in the states and money is different in the States than it is in Canada. So we had talked a few times on the phone and she was telling me how difficult it was for her just to get covered, cover the legal fees in order to keep up with the estate. And then one of his family members was trying to take over his estate and trying to write out all of his children, his grown children, as well as the, our children that were under the age of 18. And so there was a lot of complications. So it, it wasn't easy. Yeah. And and the money I got from GoFundMe didn't even cover all the funeral costs. I yeah. paid $10,000 to the funeral home, and I know that didn't cover all of it. 
And the GoFundMe only raised $11,800. GoFundMe took 400 of it for their expenses. Mm -hmm. And then the other 1400 that was left over was expenses that I spent on clothes for the kids for the funeral and, you know, hotels to stay in the city to go to the funeral. I was completely written out of it all. One of the family members went to the funeral home and signed the contract and basically told them I wasn't allowed to be involved at all. I didn't get to pick casket, flowers. I wasn't asked if I wanted to speak at the funeral. I My opinion was not asked at all. Why is it though? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have my ideas. The particular person that took over, um, which was one of Louis' siblings, Louis had had problems with in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, this particular sibling had taken from Louis while he was alive mm-hmm. and I, to be honest with you, I wasn't surprised that that happened the way it did. And it was basically this person wanted me to give them the GoFundMe money. And when I refused to give it to them in cash, that was Mm -hmm. when it started the backlash. Like, you can't come to the funeral. You're not allowed to come. You're banned from it. You know, you're going to regret this. And then there was comments that was made about how I'm going to go after the kids after all this and take the three youngest children and take custody of them because I guess they thought his accidental death insurance... The, his our three kids were the beneficiary, so I guess they thought if they got custody of the kids, they'd have access to that money. Only for me to turn around and say, "Well, there is no insurance money; it's mm-hmm. void because the of the the turnout of the accident." You know, yeah. so there really wasn't any money. I didn't get any money from the GoFundMe. I his car insurance. The children all got money that mm-hmm. they don't get till they turn eighteen, which goes stays within the courts with the children's lawyer mm-hmm. and. There was spousal benefits through his car insurance, but again, that went to his wife. So it really kind of hit me when I seen all these people making comments about, oh, she's a gold digger, she's trying to make money. Even one of his immediate family members thought that he had cash in his safe and that that's what I paid for the funeral and that I kept all the GoFundMe money. There was a lot of drama, a lot of heat on me. Mm -hmm. I kind of avoided a lot of things for a little while. Um, I cut off certain family members um, mm-hmm. to just because it was healthier for me. Most of his family members are still pretty supportive. Like his mother and I still talk. And I mean, she's 88 years old. She's got eight or seven children. This is her second child now she's had to bury her. She's now buried three grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I know it was tough on her. She's a very tough woman, mm-hmm. and she's had to deal with a lot. And, she, and to be honest with you, out of his entire family, that's probably the only one I really kind of still reach out to and check for to make sure she's okay. Yeah. A few of his nieces and nephews, like Gloomy Grade and some of his other nieces and nephews, because I guess because we're closer in age, so we yeah. kind of are able to to relate to each other. I, they still reach out to me. Some of them do, but some of them kind of cut me off completely. So I just... When we before he passed away, when we were together, there wasn't a lot of involvement with his family to begin with. Got you. We did have like we would go to some events together and some things together, but he kind of kept me away from his family to a certain extent. And I don't know a lot of the things behind that. I know that he him he had opened up to me a few times about some stuff that had happened in his childhood and with the family and the struggles they went through and you know, any a lot of people struggled, especially in Jamaica, you know, especially during that generation. So I can understand where he would come from on some aspects and why he had held back from having me around his family so much. Plus they kind of didn't really give me a chance. 
I don't know if that was because of his history with past girlfriends that happened when he came to Canada. Some of his family members even admitted it, saying, you know, we never really gave her a chance. We didn't really even take the time to get to know her. Some of them said, well, he was with her for six years, had three kids with her. So obviously, you know, there there comes there's a, two sides to everything, right? Sure. So there's their side. That's his family. Those are his immediate brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews. They have their history. And I wasn't going to take away from that. And I wasn't expecting to, like, take over or make all the plans. I just wanted to be involved. You know, mm -hmm. I'd been part of his everyday life from the day we met until the day he passed away. So mm -hmm. the fact that I was pretty much thrown to the wayside and treated like I was a nobody, it was kind of like... Well, that's not fair. And mm. we had three children together. And it, was, it wasn't it was really until the actual funeral, like to the, the service in the church, when someone happened to mention my name and the kids. And I was like, oh, so now you recognize us. And now you recognize me. And even then, it was just kind of by the wayside. Oh, he came to Canada and he had three beautiful children. And it was just kind of like, okay. It was more in passing type of yeah, thing. Yeah, it was. And not that I didn't want that to happen. I wanted it to be, you know talk about him and his life and For who sure. he was. And it's not that I wanted to be acknowledged. I wanted mm -hmm. his children to be acknowledged because especially Zara. Zara and him were very close mm -hmm. and it was very hard on her because he always looked for her. Like the twins were still young. They were a year old when he passed away. So they really don't have any, they don't, they don't know. They know who daddy is. They yeah. see pictures and videos and hear his voice and they know that's daddy, mm -hmm. but they don't have any understanding of what happened where she did. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm still dealing with her and her, um, her emotions and her grief. And she has separation anxiety because he hadn't been home in a week and then he didn't come home. And I can't, it's hard for me to leave home now because mm -hmm. now she thinks I'm not going to come home. And a lot of people like don't understand how, I had to deal with it with the children when it happened. Mm -hmm. I was on my own. Like, where I lived in the country, I have n no close friends in the same town. My family don't live close. So here I am dealing with the grief and still trying to go day to day with my five children. My kids are grieving. My oldest goes to a school where there's high school kids that knew him and okay. knew his videos and they knew his restaurant. So... She was dealing with people that she didn't know coming up to her saying, I'm so sorry for your loss. I would go to the grocery store and people that worked at the grocery store knew about it. So it was really hard because I couldn't go anywhere without somebody getting in your face saying, oh, I'm so sorry for what happened or how are you doing? So basically, it was just me staying home and not really going around anybody too much. Yeah, makes sense because it's a it's a real tragic story as in, OK, you're with him, this superstar. Mm -hmm. And then. You know that clearly the finances aren't straight, living day to day. You know that this isn't a secret, but it came to light now when everything was just thrust right into the forefront. Yeah. Whoops, now you died. Now I need to bury you. What am I going to do now? That's really a real tragic story. And I could I could understand a point of view where people say, oh, you're tarnishing his image. Okay, that's one thing. But how about my real life? Yeah. And that's totally different. The image is cool. I got a real life too, boss. Well, I didn't, I was always trying to maintain an image for him for his career. So I didn't really put it out there to social media that we had problems or that he had drinking problems or that we had money problems mm -hmm. because it wasn't something that we really wanted to put out there. Mm -hmm. So when this all of a sudden happened, it was kind of like, well, what do I do? Like he has to have a funeral. He has to be buried. 
I don't have the funds to give him the send off he deserves. Mm-hmm. So what am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. So it just kind of left me with not much of a choice. So I did what I had to do to make sure that he got the burial. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he appreciated everything that I did. But at the same time, it put me in a position to make people look at me in a different light than what it was. It was already difficult because people were looking at me when he was alive like, oh, you're with a man that's twice your age. You're with a man that's a celebrity. And, you know, they already assumed that I was with him because of his money or his career or whatever. But people that knew me knew, excuse me, knew it wasn't like that. Like I I wasn't the type to be up on the hype. You didn't see me posting pictures all the time with celebrities. It was more about putting him out there. I might have the odd thing on my Instagram, but it was usually about him. And, you know, oh, he's doing a video or he's doing this or... I wasn't really in the scene. Mm -hmm. So to have people talk about me that way, people who don't know, people that were like strangers to me, they were just other people out in the universe, that didn't bother me so much. But the people that were close to us that knew Mm -hmm. the situation and knew what was going on that treated me the way they did, that was what was more hurtful. Because like people in his family knew. Mm -hmm. They knew the situation. They knew there really wasn't any money and they're acting like there was when they knew there wasn't. and. Even close friends that knew there's a lot of people that took advantage of his death, too, to their own advantage when it comes to, like, putting out certain things. And it, it was difficult. There's a lot yeah. of people that showed up to the funeral just to see what other celebrities were there. People that didn't even bother to come that we did business with and filmed with and were working with days before his accident that came to the funeral and didn't even come and say a word to me. But we're taking pictures with Paul Campbell. And, and, um, and you, you know, it was just it was just a lot of craziness, a lot of people, opportunistic people. And I guess it's going to happen mm-hmm. with anybody that that has a, a family member that's a celebrity of some sort. Welcome to the entertainment world. But if that's a real it's tragic on top of tragic on top of tragic. Mm-hmm. Last question before I get you out of here. His unreleased album or any projects he was working on, will they be coming out? Is that tied up legally? What's the deal with that right now? So um, his album, which is pretty much finished, there was some discussion about putting it out. But again, Mm -hmm. there's the legal aspect of it, of who really has control of his estate, people who are trying to take control. Legally, his wife is Mm -hmm. the one who has complete control over the estate. But because she's in the U.S., she has legal hurdles she has to jump through. Mm -hmm. And then there's, of course, other family members that live in Canada that are trying to take control of the estate so that they can have control of it all. But when it comes to his album, the people that were mixing and mastering the album have been in conversation with me, and they're not prepared to release it to anybody else. When yeah. the time comes to release it, they're going to make sure that um, that there's money put aside for his children. And not just our children together, but for all of his children. And mm-hmm. and, and it's not that I'm looking for any compensation because I, it's not about me. It's about the kids. These kids are still young. Mm-hmm. He has, you know, a, another daughter here in Toronto. He has... Um, six kids in the u.s i believe there's three with his wife there's two in connecticut there's one in atlanta so Mm -hmm. there's he has a legacy Mm -hmm. of of that needs to go on and a lot of these kids are grown but they're still his children so they still deserve something from him so a lot of us are trying to work together i i speak with most of his children and they're in contact with their siblings and me and we're all trying to work together to to maintain his image and his legacy But there's a lot of hurdles to jump through still. And there was another project that he was doing with Bismo because they did a movie together before called Small World. Okay. And they were uh, had literally just started filming 
like the day before his accident. I like you'll see a video on his Instagram where he made a comment to the driver. Yes. And a lot of people assume that that comment was kind of I guess you could say ahead of the accident was kind of calling the accident on. Got but you. the comment he was making was in regards to the movie he was filming. So when like he opened up the bag and the money was in the there money, and he said yes. he didn't trust the driver, mm-hmm. that had to do, that was in the context of the movie he was filming with Bismo. Mm-hmm. And as far as I know, it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some trailers that have been put out and I'm not sure how they continued on with that because there hasn't been a lot of communication between us in regards to that. Mm-hmm. I know they used the scenes that they did film with him. Um, there was some talk of using one of his brothers to go on with his scenes. I'm not sure if that happened. I know Paul Campbell got involved with the movie um, and a few other people. Um, Jay, Jay Villani got involved. So, okay. I mean, the, it is done and that has been put out there. But I haven't had much communication with them in regards to how that's going to work. Yeah. I'm not really expecting it to be like, you know, a Hollywood hit movie. It's yeah. a low budget movie, but it's still going to have some following. It's still because it, he's in it and it was posthumous release. So there and I believe Yank with Kama is still in the process of releasing episodes. Mm-hmm. And there's a few other things that are out there in the works that haven't been put out yet. But it's all being worked on putting out. But again, it's all legal hurdles. And that's what it comes down to. Very last question. How are you and the children doing right now? We're doing a lot better now than we were before. I mean, we're a little over a year out now. Um, We still have our day-to-day struggles. You know, my older three kids still have their moments. And to be honest, I don't think I've really fully taken on my own mental health when it comes to it, just because I've been so busy trying to take care of the kids. And I still try to maintain his Instagram and um, because I'm the only one that has access to it. So I don't want that to go to the wayside. So I still try to post things on it and try to keep his stuff going. I recently just found a picture of him with Chiquita from Belly that I recently posted on his Instagram just to try and keep his image out there. And I know uh, some other celebrities are. I know DJ Khaled just recently put some stuff out because Nas Mm -hmm. did the song Blue Benz and shouted out Louie in there. And a good portion of the song is about Louie. So some artists are still trying to to keep his name alive, to keep Mm -hmm. his legend alive. So basically that's all that we're trying to do right now is keep his name alive. I don't want his children to forget. That's my main concern. I don't want them to forget who their father is, which won't be hard to do because yeah. unlike most people, there's so much out there of him. There's lots of videos. There's lots of pictures. There's lots of movies. So they'll continue to know that that's their father. But unfortunately, they won't have the the interaction that most kids have with their father growing up with their father in the picture. Mm-hmm. Jules, this was a great and open conversation Thank you for being so open and actually thank you for actually sitting down because I know when I got the message, you said that it was City TV. All of these outlets wanted to speak to you, but you weren't ready to speak. And why did you come sit down and speak with me today? I I can't even put it into words. Why me? I think I chose you just because, number one, people have a lot of respect for you because you're a very 
candid person. You're not judgmental. You're very open with letting people speak their mind. You were also the last person to do an interview with Louis before he passed away. And I know much how much respect Louis had for you. In fact, I think I remember the first time I officially met you was when we came to you in your booth in the mall yeah. and asked you to sell some tickets, I believe, for his birthday yeah. roast. Yeah. So um, I think back to all those kind of things and I'm like, well, these are the type of people that we want to continue to be involved with, people that are supportive in a positive way. And I wanted to make sure that when I did have my chance to speak out, that it wasn't going to be with someone that was going to be judgmental or take what I said and turn it around and just, yeah. you know, hear what I have to say without saying, oh, she's just trying to look for attention or anything like mm -hmm. that. Because that's not the case at all. I'm just trying to get people to understand our life and mm -hmm. what happened and, and how things went the way they did. Yeah. Understand. It's As I said, it's been a Excellent, great conversation. If anybody wanted to reach out to you, say anything to you, where could they find you? Uh, I'm on Instagram as Jules Chaotic. Mm. Um, and I am on Facebook too, but I use Instagram more. So mm. they can reach me on, on Instagram, um, message me or whatever they want to do. And all my information is on there, my email and everything. Mm -hmm. All right. Did we cover all the topics you want to speak about? Is there anything you want to speak about? I don't think there's anything else that yeah. I need to mention. I think we covered it all. <laughs> I see. Jules, it was a great, open, very candid conversation. And I mean, and thank you so very much for sitting down with me. And we'll put it out to the world. And they're definitely going to get a real picture of who Louis Rankin really, really, really was. Mm -hmm. You understand? I do. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Let me give you an outro and get you out of here. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Muscle, and this has been another Two Line Music Huts Entertainment Report podcast, and we are out. This podcast is brought to you by www.twolinedmusichut.com. <laughs>